Business Bros is your show, where small business professionals just like you come to tell their stories. This podcast is for those who understand the number one rule in business, which is to be of service to others. Learn how today's professionals generate leads, what's working on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of those who are out there doing the real work. And now let's welcome your hosts, Hernan Cias, the real estate bro with eXp Realty, the cloud-based brokerage where top producers reign, and James Cias, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, making sure you are covered because there's a lot riding out there. And now here are the business bros. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. <laughs> what up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy Tuesday. Take action Tuesday. Hernan Cias here, host of the Business Bros podcast, where we're helping you Oh, man, I'm already forgetting. Create, Create wealth for today <laughs> and generational wealth for tomorrow. tomorrow. It must be Tuesday. Dude. It must be Tuesday. I don't know what that like, means. But. I wrote that like six times right now. In, in <laughs> All right, I'm here with my co-host. The insurance bro, James Cias. And speaking of Take Action Tuesday, oh, actually... I messed up my part. See, you got me all messed up. Sorry, see. It's all good. It's a God. Uh, so the insurance bro, James C.S. with Pipeline Insurance, where we are empowering licensed professionals to effectively add insurance into their existing businesses. We should just switch it today. That's what, that's what we would have happened. You know, that would have been, that would've been that would've good. Been but you know what? We can fix that in the edits. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of Take Action Tuesday, Man, we have an exciting show today. Today's guest can help you take action because she has taken a unique approach and found a remarkable niche market. This brilliant young lady has been a practicing CPA for over 10 years and to cure the fatigue of a desk job, she started teaching fitness classes like Zumba and found, of course, so many of her fitness clients needed help getting their finances in shape too. Now following her passion for fitness and helping others, our guest today provides double value and is someone who, who can help you get healthy, wealthy, and wise. From Financial Solutions, please welcome to the show, Miss Shannon Weinstein. Woo! Oh, I forgot Woo! to get my thing started again. Yeah. The, the clap track, see? The clap track. I, this. That, needs, that needs to be part of my like start the show thing. <laughs> All right. Well, Hi, anyway, Shannon. welcome, Shannon. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. And I'm used to a lack of applause as an accountant. Yeah, we don't, you know, it's funny. My degree's in accounting and I got super, uh, I, I thought about it. After I got my degree, it was like one of your options, right? You can go like the EA route if you wanted to. You can go the CPA route. And I chickened out. I was like, ah, I don't want to work for a CPA for two years and then, you know, do that whole thing. And so I didn't do it. You did. Uh, tell me a little bit about like, you know, deciding that you wanted to be an accountant because I'm sure you were in kindergarten thinking, yes, tax returns and crunching numbers all day long. That's what I want to do. So I wasn't thinking that in kindergarten, but my dad was. <laughs> so my dad was a CPA and I was brought up like just for fun. He would throw like math times tables at me like in long road trips. Like he would quiz me on number related things. And uh, we actually, believe it or not, I became an accountant because I lost a bet with him in high school. <laughs> Tell me, okay, what happened? What's, what's the terms here? What, what'd you do? <laughs> so I, both of us are very competitive. So this is why it worked. He, he said, um, ever since I was a little kid in kindergarten, he was saying, do you want to be an accountant? I said, I don't, I don't know what that is. What do you do? And he'd say, I count things. That's all he would tell me. 
And uh, eventually in high school, they offered an accounting class, luckily, uh, for for high school students. So you could take a basic accounting class. So you know, Ernan, like it's, you know, the paper journals, the, you yeah, know, yeah. The, debits, the credits, trial. Receipts. Yeah. Like there was no QuickBooks. There was no Excel. This is, you know, 2000, year 2000. And we had to come up with a set of financial statements over the course of a semester. And my, my dad said, Shannon, I want you to take this class. It meets your requirements, whatever. And if you hate it, I will never ask you to be an accountant again. If you love it, you need to major in it. Ooh. And it turns out after two weeks, I had over a hundred average on the class, thought it was super easy. And the teacher said, I'm going to bump you up to honors accounting with the seniors. And you're crazy if you don't major in this because you understand this stuff that a lot of people don't. It's kind of like speaking a different language. Oh, it totally is speaking a different language. Well, to be fair, you had an advantage. You've been speaking that language since kindergarten. So, you know, when, when uh, th that's the biggest hurdle I find when I'm teaching my 17 year olds, you know, anything when, when it's accounting related, whether it's mortgages, whether it's taxes, whatever, it's, it's the vocabulary that, that, that lexicon and that industry is huge. If you don't speak finances, learning the basics, like what the numbers do, aren't going to make sense. Like it is adding and subtracting. There's not very, it, the math part is not very complicated. Maybe when you get into, you know, calculating mortgage payments or like future value money, maybe you can do it, but hey, you know what computers do that for us. So, you know, the math calculations themselves aren't that hard. You're hundred percent right. It's the vocabulary that makes a difference. So by the time you're 17 years old, taking this class in high school, like you speak this language pretty well. Yep. And then I actually went on to become a tutor in college, which is where I discovered a real passion for teaching and for helping other people get this stuff and explaining it in a digestible way that wasn't the way that our professors were explaining it or the way my dad would explain it. It was bringing it into terms people could actually understand. You spoke English to people. <laughs> That's so, dude, it, it is trippy because, uh, you know, some, some things that I, that I discuss in class, uh, I, I learned from uh, Russell Brunson, who's the ClickFunnels guy, and he, he says, you, anytime you mention a word and the, the audience doesn't understand that word, you lose them at that moment. At that point, that's the moment in time where it becomes a boring conversation. They're not learning anymore. You've lost them. So he says, you got to use something that he calls a kind of like bridge. So, you know, if, if I give you a word, I got to, ne my next words has got to be, it's kind of like, and then give them an analogy that they understand. Right. So, you know, um, we were talking about, uh, I'll give you an example. We were talking about referrals because we're, we're big on getting referrals, homeowner policies, that sort of stuff. Um, and I was like, you know, we'll, we'll do all the work for you. It's kind of like you're the quarterback on the football team. You're handing the ball off to us. We'll do all the running and get hit and get through all the offensive line and through the defensive line and we'll score a touchdown, but you get all the credit, right? You're still the quarterback of this team. So they can understand that analogy. Whereas if I talk insurance to them, they're not going to get it, right? I'm going to lose them and they're not going to pay attention. So you got that skill. You got that gift. Right. Right. And that applies to my fitness people, too. So that's why I started serving that crowd, because I understood the analogies that they would get. So tell me a little bit about you. So, so you're you're basically groomed accountant. And so you, you go into you go into this major, you become an accountant, you get your CPA, you're doing what you love to do. Um, but it is a very, you know, methodical, you know, it's, it's bean counting. It's the reason why we have that stereotype is because we sit there and we crunch numbers. We, we look at spreadsheets. I mean, you, you sit in a chair all day long, you're in a cubicle, you're in an office or you're behind a desk like that gets, you know, boring real fast. Your body doesn't really like to react very well to that sort of stuff. 
So what did you, you know, what did you end up doing? How did you end up, you know, breaking from that? Yeah, I got a little bit, I guess, restless um, sitting in a cubicle all day and, and just checking emails all day. And my whole life became my email inbox, right? Um, so I decided to find a little bit of refuge in movement. So I, I took a Zumba class. I started falling in love with it I, within that class, which is a big part of what that program helps to foster. And um, within six months of taking regular classes, I decided to go get my license to become an instructor. And the rest is history. It's been almost seven years since I did that. And I've taught multiple formats, gotten multiple certifications and, you know, presented at fitness workshops on the subject of business, which is really funny because I never would have pictured myself in a, a room with other like master trainers and educators uh, and bringing that to the table. That's awesome. Cause I mean, those guys are, you know, they're, they're big fitness, whether it's Zumba, yoga, you know, CrossFit, whatever it is, they have a passion for what they do. What they suck at is the number crunching, the business part of that, that, that aspect. And it's, and it's a big part. Like if they actually want to take this idea, this concept, this passion that they have and turn it into a, an income stream, they need to understand how the money flows, how the money works. So how are you doing that? Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, what it's like to do the fit and the, the finance part. Yeah. So like you said, it's about making it, um, bridging the gap with the, you know, it's kind of like, and when I explain to folks that it's a lot simpler than people think it is, I think that fitness professionals in general, the ones that I've worked with tend to fear this stuff and think that it's, you know, I, I want no part of that, or, you know, I do this out of passion, I don't do this out of money. And they kind of avoid depth on the topic, right? So that they're not looking to become experts on these topics. So they kind of avoid it altogether or completely outsource it, which is okay if you're outsourcing it. But at the end of the day, you're the one signing the line on your tax return. You're the one that's, you know, that's accountable. And you have to at least understand the basics and the fundamentals of the decisions you're making with your money. And I like to, to say that, you know, that's helping you build more impact so that you mm -hmm. can share your message with more people. It's not necessarily that money is, you know, evil or money is a bad thing. You should want to earn more money so that you can make a bigger impact and that you can do more with it towards your mission. Uh, so today we're, we're actually finishing up the chapter in my class on tax returns, right? So I'm trying to teach 17 year olds about taxes and it's a very broad overview. You know, what I, what I explained to them, I was like, by the time we finish this chapter, I don't expect you to go out and write tax returns, but I expect you to look at one and say, Hmm, that doesn't look right and, and question it. That's what I want you to do by the time you hit the end. Um, and of course, 17 year olds, uh, you're explaining them certain situations, certain rules. And the first thing they go to is everything fraudulent. Like, how can I avoid this? How can I avoid that? Right. And so I explained to them, I go, look, even as a tax professional, if I sat down and I wrote a return for you and um, I was completely fraudulent and I, you know, I said you'd made certain amount of money or you had certain withholdings and I got you back, you know, thousands of dollars in refunds at the very bottom where it says sign here in fine print. And I read it out loud to him, right? Under penalty of perjury, I, you know, the whole thing. You're, you're literally signing off saying that you've acknowledged what's on this tax return. You understand that it's true and that it is correct and that it is prepared um, to the best of your knowledge with the information that you provided the tax preparer. I said, if, if, I, if, if it comes back as fraudulent, can I get fined? Yes, as your tax preparer, I can get fined. Can I go to jail? Absolutely, I can probably do some jail time if I you know, affect enough people, of course. 
However, you are still responsible for the refund that I got you back. You're still going to pay back that tax. You're still going to pay back the penalties and interest. You sign the return saying, you know, what's up. So, you know, it's important for people to understand that, you know, yes, you can outsource that information. Yeah, you can hire a CPA to do your work, but you need to be able to at least understand what's going on because it is your tax return. You're signing the bottom line. Exactly. And it's your story that they're telling. So I like to say the tax return is a story about what happened during the course of the year. And I want to make sure my story is accurate. So if the story is not accurate, you have the ability to tell me what to change and what to correct. Because if I'm preparing your taxes, my knowledge is only as good as what you give me. And there could be assumptions that your your accountant is making based on what you give them that may or may not be true. So it's really important to review the return completely, even if you trust them as a professional, just to make sure that they haven't missed any piece of your story. 100%, 100%. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the market today. We got employees and we got contractors, right? We got this new law that came in and uh, the law's actually been around for a while, but there was uh, recent court cases that have shifted how this law is going to play out. And uh, so companies that have recently been uh, hiring people as independent contractors, 1099 people, uh, may need to reclassify them as W-2 employees. So uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, so um, I guess I'm assuming that everyone knows the difference between the two. Do you want me to break that down? Hit hit the difference between the two, yeah, because that's that's very very important. Most people don't know. Some people come to me and they don't know which one they are. That's actually the first thing I get asked is I don't know which one I am. So if – so. And I mentioned employee versus independent contractor. So for an employee, that means that you're receiving a paycheck. You're having taxes withheld out of that paycheck. Your income is is pretty steady on a routine pay period basis and that you're working for your employer as an employee. You probably filed a lot of paperwork to get on payroll with them. um, And you just report that income on your 1040 personal return just as wages, right? Uh, and you get a W-2 from them at tax time, which you should have just received in January. And if you're an independent contractor, it means you're being hired on maybe a project basis and you're being paid by the company, but not as an employee, not through a paycheck. You're probably invoicing the company or they're paying you, you know, based on other factors and you'd be getting a 1099 from them um, given certain, you know, minimum to, to get a copy of the 1099 uh, filed, but you'd be considered an independent contractor if it's business income for you, if you're self-employed, if you're being hired in just a project by project basis. So the other, the other thing I like to tell my, uh, my students, I'm like, look, when you get a, when you, when you get hired as an employee, you get a W-4 at the beginning, right? And this is how you right. calculate your federal withholding and that sort of stuff. If you're an independent contractor, they're going to give you a W-9. And if you've never seen a W-9, the way I like to tell people is the nine is an odd number. So you should be thinking to yourself, hmm, that's an odd way to get paid, right? That's an odd form I've never seen before. So the W-9, that's kind of, that, that's kind of the indicator. Or it's a nine, you're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year. So, uh, you know, those, the, how, you, uh, how they ask you for your information at the beginning up front in, in the employment contract, that's an indicator as, as to what you're going to get or who you are anyways. Right. Exactly. I love that idea too. Uh, and saying, you know, W9, 1099. 
because a lot of folks just fill out the paperwork. They're not really paying attention to what they're filling out. They just know that they're supposed to fill out what the employer gives them, but maybe they don't know how it's actually working. And unfortunately, a lot of people at the end of the year realize that taxes were never withheld out of their pay if they were paid as a contractor. And then they're liable to pay for the taxes that are on that income because they weren't withheld, which is what most of us are used to if we've worked full-time jobs before. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, we've, we've identified, you know, a W-2 employee, we've identified an independent contractor, a 1099. Um, What's the, what's the big difference? Why, why the big change? Why the big hoopla? So basically the major difference between the two things is control and how much control the company that you're working for has over how you do your work, when you do your work, you know, who you outsource to and when you come in and all of these other factors. So what is happening is I know California is big on this right now. They are, um, they had released assembly bill five, which basically narrows the definition of an independent contractor and widens the definition of an employee Mm -hmm. so that more independent contractors are technically being classified as employees. Their effort to do this is to uh, reduce the abuse of the independent contractor classification because that is a little bit more advantageous to the company and to the worker. So they want to make sure that they're not missing out on any, you know, state taxes, payroll taxes, things that should be filed for people who are classifying folks as contractors who really should be employees. And this is definitely something that's affecting a lot of different industries. I think it was originally targeting the gig economy. So your Uber, Lyft drivers, you know, DoorDash, folks who are considered independent contractors in that regard, because they wanted to make sure they were protected. That was what they were conveying. But it's affecting, for example, my industry in fitness, it's heavily affected because you've got a lot of studio instructors and teachers that are classified as contractors because they work for multiple different places, but maybe could be classified as employees under the new ABC test that they implemented. Because they're in the same industry. Yeah. And that that gets a little bit tough. Um, uh, You know, one of the things that, that um, you, you mentioned was, it comes down to the the tax revenue that that the states are are wanting to get their hands into, um, and the main reason is because when we were discussing the W twos, when you get paid as an employee, uh, what I tell my students is the government doesn't trust you to pay your taxes at the end, so they take it out as you go along, right? As you're getting paid, they're withdrawing that. However, the 1099 doesn't get anything withheld. Do they pay taxes? Absolutely, they pay them at the end of the year, but they get 100% of what they earn up front. And then we take away, you know, ordinary necessary deductions and then they pay taxes on what's left over. And so if you're, if you're allowed to exclude that income, that's the revenue that the state's after. So that's the change. You know, if somebody who is making a hundred thousand dollars a year as a 1099, uh, you know, uh, independent contractor, now that same hundred grand is not going to be the same hundred grand they get in their pocket. Like if anybody sees their W-2 and they look at it and they're like, holy crap, I made a hundred thousand dollars this year. You're like, I don't remember that. I was only clearing, you know, six or $7,000 a month. Well, it's because the rest was being withheld from you on the paycheck along the way. And it, it changes, uh, it changes a lot, not just for the, uh, the employee or the independent contractor, the employer side does too, because, you know, you, you start getting into things like, you know, if I have an employee, I'm required to have workers compensation for them. I'm required to withhold payroll taxes, you know, uh, social security is in, and Medicare, you know, it's 15.3%, but what you don't realize as an employee is your employer is paying half of it. You're paying the other half. 
And so there's a whole whirlwind of things that are happening here if we have to reclassify a lot of people. What do you, what do you, exactly. Yeah, exactly. what do you think about that sort of stuff? Yeah. And, and that's the biggest advantage though, as an independent contractor is the business expense deductions you can take. And there are a lot of, you know, um, a lot of ways that we incentivize the, you know, we, we kind of uh, justify in our heads as business owners, like, Oh, it's okay. I can write it off. Well, if you can't write off expenses anymore, maybe folks will be less likely to spend on certain areas because they know that it, there's no tax benefit to it for their business. Mm-hmm. And that's something else too, that we have to consider. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about deductions. Cause these always blow my mind when people, uh, when people talk about tax free stuff, right. Or, or tax deductions. Um, you know, and, and this is how we actually ended up hooking up on, on Instagram because of, of this exact conversation, right? Um, I hear people all the time, they're going to be like, you know, I'm going to buy a car and it's okay because it's tax deductible. And, 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 it, and you know, and, and I hear that and, and, and the general public says, yeah, yeah, it's a tax deduction. But when I dig, dig a little deeper I, I, and they express what it actually means, they start thinking in their mind that tax deductible means free. And that's not necessarily the case. Can you explain yeah. what a ta- what a deduction is? It is not a rebate. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, so on your note about the bridge here, it's kind of like a coupon, mm-hmm. but a tax credit is like a gift card. Yes. Like that's that. what I usually compare. So the tax deduction just gets you a reduction in the taxable income so that the tax that you're getting, that you're paying on that income is lower because that's a multiple of your income, right? So if your income's lower, the tax you owe will be lower. And this just reduces your income. It does not mean a dollar for dollar savings um, back to you. It just means that if you're, you know, let's say you're paying 20 cents on the dollar in taxes, you're saving 20% of that cost. So a, thousand dollar computer is actually an $800 computer and you still spent the money and you just get to save on a little bit of taxes. But if you're buying it solely just because it's a tax deduction, that's not enough of a justification to be spending money. I'm so glad you said that. I, I start off the tax chapter every year telling my students, do not do things for tax purposes, do things in tax advantaged ways. Right. And they're like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I'm like, don't get married because you want to use the married filing joint filing status. Get married because you actually love that person and you want to spend the rest of your life with them, right? So if you want to get married and take advantage for the whole year, maybe you get married on December 31st so you take advantage of the filing status for the entire year. That's doing things in a tax-advantaged way. But don't get married because it's a tax benefit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference between the two. People do things oftentimes and, and their justification is, you know, it's a deduction. I get a credit for this or whatever, but that's not the primary reason why you want to do things. We just do them in tax advantaged ways. Can you give me some examples of, of some stuff like that, that you've come across? It's usually the business expense deductions. That's like the number one thing. Um, I haven't seen a lot of folks make massive decisions like get married solely for tax purposes. (laughs) Um, The folks I usually work with, believe it or not, aren't even aware of some of the tax advantages of things they can do. So they will, you know, they just kind of go about their normal activity and then realize, oh, I should have tweaked this one thing a little bit. Like, for example, I think last year we had a nice electric car credit. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we were shopping for a new car, me and my husband were like, well, you know, I know this electric car or this hybrid vehicle is a little bit more expensive, but we get back that cost margin in our credit. So it's essentially no more cost to us 
to buy that car versus another one and we get to you know have a more cost efficient and fuel efficient vehicle so something like that where you're already shopping for a car it just helps you decide on which one a little bit easier I love that. I love that. And uh, so let, let's kind of move into um, what's going to happen here at the end of the year. We have two filing deadlines coming up. We have March 15th and we have April 15th, right? Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit about the difference between the two and who files what? So you've got your corporate filing deadline and your um, individual filing deadlines. So most people are familiar with the April 15th. And that is when we be filing our individual returns. So your 1040 for an individual income tax return. That's also a reminder too, that that is when your income tax is due, whether you are filing it or not with the paperwork. So if you're, have you have an extension, which extends you till October and many people do file extensions and it's totally fine. You are still due to pay the tax that you owe on your 2019 in this case, income on April 15th. So you still have to, you know, catch up on your tax payments. You don't get to defer out the payment, just the paperwork. I love that. That's absolutely true. So uh, the extension can work from both, right? The March 15th and the uh, April 15th, the March 15th for your corporate return, the April 15th for your individual return, but it's just the paperwork, the taxes are still due. Um, So at the end, you know, talking about the end, I want to kind of Think about how taxes and how many tax repairs operate. Um, most tax repairs, most tax uh, returns are done uh, reactively. Like this is, you, you kind of explained it. This is what happened in 2019. This is the story of your finances for 2019. Um, how important is it to be proactive in tax planning and moving forward, especially, you know, when you, when you have a business, because there are certain things, you know, once that calendar switches over to January 1st, there are very few things that we can do to adjust your return from the year before. So what, what can you tell me about, you know, being proactive versus reactive? Exactly. You hit it on the head. So if you're telling the story about your financial year, um, you can either have your accountant help write the story with you, or you can have them tell the story for you. And that's the big value in having an accountant is that you should be consulting with them throughout the year on things that you can do before it's too late. Because as you mentioned, a lot of things you can't change after December 31st. And a lot of the times I talk with my clients and we say what we should have done or what we'll do next time. And you'll really get your money's worth out of paying for an accountant or a CPA if you consult with them in the off season. I mean, we're not as busy in the summer, if you want to have a phone call, you should catch up with them and see if there's anything you can implement for, for that year and, um, and take action on it. I mean, you can save a ton of money just by being proactive while you can still write your story. And if you're not, then you're really just paying your tax preparer to fill in numbers that can't be changed and to fill in information of things that have already happened. I love that. That's absolutely true. Cause uh, you know, and there, there are only a few things that you can do afterwards, things like maybe you can make an IRA contribution, some stuff like that, that, that could affect your 2019. Um, but for the most part, everything else is sealed. You're done. It's over. You've completed 2019, you know, clean your hands off, dust yourself off. And now it's time to plan going forward. Um, I want to know a little bit more about the other side of you, the fitness side, right? So, um, have you, did this become like a side business for you and was it intentional to go that route or is it just like a hobby? So it's, it started as a hobby and a side business. So I, 
so my fitness side, I decided to become an instructor. Obviously we get paid as instructors, but I of course wasn't doing it for the money. I kind of said, well, that just means I can buy some more org organic food now. Like it's a little <laughs> bit of that extra. It's kind of like healthy for healthy, right? I'm going to yeah. get some more exercise and I'm going to use that to fund a healthy diet. Um, so I kind of took that approach as a little bit of extra money to afford other costs that were coming up. And then as I got more involved in fitness and I met more people and expanded my network, I realized that I could really find a cool niche here to serve because I had worked at corporate companies for so long and big four firms, which I'm an alum of a big four firm and I would not trade a single day at that firm for anything. But it is very exhausting after a while. And I was ready to kind of serve people instead of serving these big companies on Wall Street. So I decided to, um, you know, keep it a little bit smaller and help the local folks that I know and to operate my business, you know, um, on my terms. So it's allowed you to expand your network, huh? Well, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, of hobbies, I can take this back to taxes a little bit. I know a lot of people who um, come tax time, they're like, hey, well, um, I started this welding company and uh, I bought all this equipment for my, for my business. Um, so can I, can I get it started? How much income do you make? Oh, I didn't sell anything. Uh, I didn't make any money this year. And so I start to have this discussion with them on the difference between a business and a hobby and how the IRS will end up classifying them. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so they have what's known as the hobby loss rule, but the, the, the key element here is that if you have a loss over time, I think it's a couple of years, I generally don't like to see a loss for more than one or two years from my, my customers. I, otherwise, I kind of question it. it. depends on what their activity is, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's a business that requires a long time to start up, like if they want to shoot for the moon, then we know we're going to have a few losses in the first few years. But if you're you know, starting a business and uh, let's say you're starting a coaching business and you don't have a single client in over a year that can look just like a hobby as opposed to a business because it doesn't look like you're taking it as seriously or you're, you know, you're undergoing the activities it takes to really build a business to generate income. And the reason why they do this, they're not just trying to be buzzkills. They actually, like you said before, they don't want you taking business expense deductions against your income if you're not really in business and earning income based on those expenses. That's a big, big no-no. I, I, and, and that's one of those things where um, it, it, it stems from you hearing about what your friend did and what their tax repairer did. And we have the same situation. We make the same amount of money. We work at the same company. We have the same kids. And how come you're not getting the same refund I am? Right. What, what do you, what do you help? What do you tell your clients when you hear that same story? So what I love about my clients for the most part being in fitness is it's why you don't give two clients the same meal plan. It's why you don't give two clients the same workout program. You know, Betty Sue over here can lift 10 pounds, but Susan can lift 15, right? So, but you'd never know from looking at them. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, a lot of the stuff is under the surface and it's kind of like a workout program. It's kind of like a, a nutrition program. You have to get to know the individual situation before you can possibly assess an action plan for them. And you can't really apply one person's action plan to another and expect the same results. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> my favorite answer in tax, in tax preparation it is depends. it depends, right? It depends. Yeah. My clients hate me for that. And I actually just did an Instagram post on that exact topic today on, 
a, a bunch of questions that you know generate the answer it depends that have nothing to do with taxes like how much is a new car it depends. how many calories how many calories should i eat how much should i be sleeping yeah, those are all it depends questions. I like that. That that totally makes sense because that's the absolute truth. And what I tell my my clients, especially new clients or people who have just general tax questions, is if you ask a tax preparer and they give you a straight up answer without knowing the details, you need to be wary of that person because there oftentimes isn't a straight up answer. Even if you go through and you look up the IRS tax code and you write down the you know you you're justifying what your thing is and you put down a number. Even then, it's not always the exact answer. You still need to justify it somehow, some way. If you ever had to go before the IRS and audit or whatever question, there's still justification where they could say, even though your number might be legit, no, that's not a qualified, it's not qualified, or yes, it is. Like, there is no absolute answer in this, you know, thousands and thousands of volumes of tax law, but it's the best interpretation that we can give you based on the information that you provided and the rules that are laid out before us by the IRS, right? Yep. And that's why having an expert is so crucial as, as opposed to just using, you know, Dr. Google or Google CPA. Um, it's really important to have somebody on your side who can help interpret it, discuss it with you and figure it out. And I actually just talked about this with a client that she had a former tax preparer that had done her return, but she kind of felt like she was leaving money on the table and didn't really know. She kind of handed things off and hoped for the best, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't get involved in the preparation and we got her back four figures in an amended return refund because she had left all this money on the table because she had just blindly trusted a professional who was giving her all the answers she wanted to hear and the quick answers. Yeah. And when we finally sat down and talked through it, we realized that we were leaving a ton of money on the table just because this person didn't ask a few of the next questions that it took to get to that real answer. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it comes down to being able to dig just a little bit deeper, just ask a little more questions. Um, I always talk about it as being a, a therapy session. You know, I always start off every year with, you know, how was your year? And, you know, the thing about being in finance and, and, and people allowing you to look inside their wallet is you're almost gazing into their soul. And like, they'll tell you pretty much everything. They'll tell you the T on what this person did and what that person did. And I, you know, we got divorced and we got married. This person died. This person was born. Like everything comes out uh, during these sessions. And so it's, it's one of those things where you, you listen and you pull out things from their story that might uh, have more questions that you can dig deep on, things that might have a tax implication that may not, but you're really listening to your client's story and kind of figuring out, okay, you know, what's, what's the narrative here that we're going to be able to tell in, in your 1040? Exactly. And what's the picture we want to paint, um, you know, when we go to illustrate it. So that's exactly what we try to do. And like you said, I turn into, I, I joke, it's like a an account slur. Yeah, I've never heard that one. That's like, a good one. <laughs> I turn into an, a counselor because I feel like we dump out all this stuff, but we get into the meat of like, even how people feel about their money, like how, where their whole, the way they handle their money came from and, and the history and how they learned about money and how that reflects in how they're managing it now as adults and what they're teaching their kids about it. So we get into some really deeper stuff than just the front page of the 1040. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I, I, 
when I get down to talking about, you know, in class, we talk about opening bank accounts and the difference between money markets and savings and checking accounts and all these different things. Um, I always give them different examples. I'm like, I have clients that have been married for, you know, 50 plus years and they have separate bank accounts and they don't know what each other make. And they sit down at tax season and kind of like in a closed envelope, hand their tax preparer, hand me, hand me some documents and we kind of prepare the return and we go from there. But they don't, they keep things 100% separate. I know other people who keep things 100% together. Like there is no wrong or right way. It's what is working for your individual family or your individual, you know, relationship. And, and it's bizarre sometimes to you, but it's perfectly normal to them. And and that's yeah, I like that a counseling, <laughs> a counselor. That's, that's great. Yeah, by the way, I, I feel like people are more apt to talk about their sex lives than their money nowadays. Oh yeah. It's like 100%. so taboo. It's insanely taboo. And it's really funny because people will react to like, I talk about money all the time on social media and it's kind of like, Ooh, that's, it feels like a risque topic when you talk about money or if you talk about something you have or something you're trying to buy, mm -hmm. it feels like you're, you're opening up something more and telling people a secret. And it's so funny because it's, you know, we all have money. It, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it's such a taboo topic to talk about or to, you know, to share what you're doing, what's working for you, uh, or even what struggles you're having and being vulnerable about what's going on with your money. Uh, it's very, very it kind of, um, people are embarrassed sometimes to talk about it. And I, I say there should be no shame in talking about money and looking for help with it or offering advice. I mean, I had a client who uh, didn't file taxes for, I think, over seven years and opened up to me completely about how, you know, how that affected her family and how it was really important for her to get back on track. And she was willing to do whatever it took to get back on track and to work through it. But it was more than just about the tax filing. There was a yeah. lot underneath the surface there that, that they had to work through and to kind of game plan a strategy together. I think it's kind of fun for like couples to get together and like, divvy up responsibilities and say, okay, I'm going to manage this piece. And then we're going to share. I mean, me and my husband get together every year at tax season, like put everything on the table. I work on the taxes, but like he will be very involved. And I ask a lot of questions like, okay, well, what's this about? What did you do here? Did you do anything? Cause I'm not involved in all of his business, but I like, I like coming to the table and having a common understanding of what's going on. Yeah. And, and I think part of it there is, is the intensity of justifying whatever it is you did, right? Like uh, my wife and I, we use the envelope accounting system. So every time paycheck comes around the corner, we go to the bank, pull out cash and that's the cash for groceries. That's the cash for, you know, whatever. And then we give ourselves an allowance. And so she has her $400 for the, for the month. I have my $400 for the month and this is our, whatever we want to spend it. If I want to go and buy like, you know, like, I don't know, beats at $200. Well, guess what? I can do that. There's it, it's that freedom of not having to justify what it is you bought that I think has an, has an issue there. And that's where the concealment comes with, with uh, relationships, but you're right. It's not about what you bought. It gets deeper. It's about, well, why aren't you willing to share that? Like, why aren't you willing to open up to your spouse? And that, that I think is where we get that whole uh, stigma because it's not what we bought. It's why we bought it that we, that we don't want to open that can of worms. We don't want to justify that part. <laughs> yeah. So. And a lot of it comes from how you were brought up too. And if your parents talked about money openly, like 
for example, as you can probably tell, my dad was very open about mm-hmm. money and always wanted to talk about it. And it was never a taboo subject for me. But in talking to more people that I've met, you know, either through fitness or just in general, it's much more of a taboo topic. And I'm realizing that a lot of folks didn't learn about money when they were younger. And that's why I love what you do when you teach 17 year olds this, because that's when it's going to be absorbed more and habits are being built and foundations are being laid on how to manage money. Cause once they go to college, you know, they're really responsible for managing a lot of that money themselves too. Yeah. And I explained to them, I'm like, look, you guys have an advantage. You're starting off at zero. You're at zero. You talk to people my age and a lot of them are not at zero. They're at negative something. And that, and, and, and when they finally realize what they're doing wrong, they have to dig themselves out of a hole before they can start moving forward. You guys are at zero. That's a huge plus. If I'm talking to you in five years down the road and you're still at zero because you've implemented some of these things, you're winning. You know, zero is not a bad thing when it comes to finance. That's a good thing in the world that we live in today and such debts, you know, like mortgages and car loans and credit cards and all kinds of different stuff that we can get into. Negative happens really, really fast. So zero is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. There's a really funny meme out there if you've seen it that's, um, I'm really glad that I learned geometry in high school. It comes in real handy in parallelogram season. (laughs) So... I always wish that they, because I took a business course that did uh, checking account reconciliations and I took accounting and I took like basic, you know, computer skills because back then we had to have a big terminal just to use like MS yep. access. Yep. <laughs> but we in. had keyboarding and typing was a, cor- a course. Uh-huh. Now it should be like thumbing. <laughs> thumbing. I had to write cursive. <laughs> but, <laughs> How to spell without autocorrect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How to not use autocorrect. But the, uh, but the lessons we learned in there were huge because it laid a foundation for how to do things by hand if we ever had to. Now it's like, hey, Siri, hey, Alexa, whatever, mm-hmm. we'll do it for you. And that's where it gets scary. And that's where it comes into the, the instant gratification, the quick answer, the I should just Google it. I had someone eat, uh, message me last night and say, hey, I'm curious, how much should I be setting aside for taxes? And of course, my response was those two words, right? Yeah. It depends. And, you know, I would be happy to talk with you. Let's, let's, I have to get a few facts together, but let's talk and I can give you a good answer. And she said, oh no, that's okay. I'll just Google it. (laughs) She was looking for a quick answer. And that's the thing. We have to stop settling for the quick answer because the quick answer is most likely not the right answer. Well, it's, it's like when I learned to do taxes, I learned on paper, like literally taking the return. And, and in my mind, I could understand, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to put in W-2s, right, that's, that, that's line seven or we used to be line seven, right? Uh, so, you know, you click on that thing and it would hyperlink to the form. Well, it's the same concept, except I actually pick up the W-2 and I look right in front of me and I add up all my box ones, right? Like you're, you, you, you know, because you have to write it down because you did it by hand. Yes, the computer is going to do a lot of these things for you. But when there's a mistake, you know exactly where the mistake is. You know, oh, I have to go to my to, to schedule SE or I have to go to my schedule C or I have to go, you know, I know exactly where the mistake is because I understand how the thing works. So using technology is a good thing if you know why it works, right? Why is it getting that number? Why do I have a refund? Why did I get, why did I get a credit and it didn't affect my refund? You know, those are things that you need to understand on the why. And then you can look back and say, okay, I can fix it. I know exactly where to look. I know, oh, look, there's a typo right there. That's exactly my problem. Because you're right. The quick answer is not 
always the way to go. You need to understand why it works and then utilize the quick answer. Yeah. And I get questions all the time that are basically TurboTax support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So someone's trying to fill out TurboTax and they're like, what do I put in question four? And I'm like, I have no idea what question four is. I, what box does that go to? I haven't quite bridged the gap <laughs> on TurboTax or not even that, just, just that piece of software. That's most common though. Mm. But any tax software that's good for the consumer, they always ask me like, what do I put in this question? And I always think, I don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. I, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what, what, what leads to what in the software, but I can tell you what to put on this line item because yeah. that's how I learned it. But no one wants to hear that or actually look at the form. I think it scares people. So. That is so funny. I, I, when I hear people, they, they ask me that. I'm like, oh, so let me get this right. You want me to give you my years of knowledge and, and uh, experience so that you can file your return for free on TurboTax. Oh, okay. I see how that works. <laughs> let me yeah. take all your knowledge and skills and then put it this way. And, and, and that's, that's not even a thing. Usually I give I, – I don't mind giving advice. You know, it's just – it depends. Like I can't give yeah. you a, if I give you an answer, I am, I am robbing you of what the right answer is going to be. I'm, I'm almost like doing you an injustice by giving you an answer without getting more details. Exactly. And that's how, you know, I ended up in that situation with my client where she went with the quick answer. It wasn't the right answer. And we had to go pick up the pieces after, which is way more costly than any taxes from getting a better refund because someone gave you an answer you liked better mm -hmm. and it's, it's not worth it to, you know, to end up paying the cost in the end. It's so true. hundred percent. Shannon, I've, I've had a good time. I could talk about this stuff all day. I'm, I'm that kind of nerd too. So, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna let you go. It's getting closer to, uh, for you guys, eight o'clock at night. So thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a good time. I love what you guys put out on social media. I love the messaging and I like what you do with um, the education for young folks as well on these topics, because I really think it's more important now than ever that people get more fit with their finances so they don't end up in, you know, debt up to their eyeballs. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And just fit in general, because exactly. you money comes, money goes. Taxes are here. They're never going to go away. But how you feel physically like when you wake up and you have that energy to do what you want to do, that is the key to being happy. Like you need to feel good first and foremost, then go out and make whatever kind of money you want to make or live the life that you want to make. But you know, that, that fitness aspect of it, it's huge. So keep it up, keep training, keep doing your thing. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. That's all we got for you guys today. Peace. Bye-bye. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at csfirst.com right now or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe and share the podcast with the business professionals who you think would benefit from the show.